This podcast is brought to you by Laterno University. Laterno University is the Christian polytechnic university in the nation where educators engage students to nurture Christian virtue, develop competency and ingenuity in their professional fields, integrate faith and work, and serve the local and global community. Laterno offers more than 140 undergraduate and graduate degree programs across a range of disciplines and delivery models at Laterno's residential campus in Longview, Texas, and in hybrid and fully online options at centers in the Dallas and Houston areas. Online at letu.edu. That's letu.edu. Hey there, it's producer Michael Miracle here. Thanks for listening to the I Work For Him podcast. We are your on-air resource as a workplace believer. And check out our website for tons more I Work For Him resources. We've got blogs and podcasts and reading material and all sorts of fun stuff there. Plus, a link to listen to the live show several times a day. Yep, head to the website. That's IWorkForHim.com. IWorkTheNumberForHim.com. And the listen tab's up there on the top left. Click that, then click the live link, and you can listen to us live every weekday. That's IWorkForHim.com. I work the number for him.com. And now let's go ahead and kick off what we all came here for, hearing more about connecting what we learn on Sunday with what we do in our nine to five. This is the I Work For Him podcast. Hey, welcome to I Work For Him this afternoon. As you are listening all over Tampa Bay, from Ocala to Fort Myers to Disney, and of course to the beaches, we're so thankful that you tuned in, as well as in Northeast Florida, from Southeast Georgia all the way to St. Augustine and all over the First Coast, including Jacksonville. We're so excited to hear from you. So please engage with us. Check us out online at iworkforhim.com. That's iwork, the number four, him.com or on Facebook, Martha. That's right, Jim. So um, we are going to start doing more video stuff on our Facebook page. So if people have not taken the opportunity to like us on I Work For Him, I Work The Number Four Him, that's our Facebook um, handle or whatever you call it. Um, they can certainly find us there and follow us. And It's your new CB channel, Facebook. And just a little insider tip. If you want to actually see the posts that we post, you need to like them or comment them on them every once in a while. Um, Facebook wants to, um, you know, try to limit. They're trying to help you by limiting what you see, but because they're assuming that if you don't make a comment or a like, you're not engaging. So anyway, people can um, connect on our I Work for Him Facebook page. They can also call our listener line, and Jim loves to have people call into that. And um, you'll actually hear my voice, and you can leave a message. Let us know. Um, what's happening in your area, if there's somebody you want us to connect to, or if something just really touched you or made a difference in your life, we'd really like to hear about that. Absolutely. We are all about just recognizing that each one of us has a workplace. And in that workplace, recognizing that it's your your mission field, your workplace, it's your mission field. And in that mission field, you and me, we may be the only Jesus, our coworkers, our employees may ever meet. That job that you hold, the work that you do, none of that is by chance. The people that you work with, they need to meet Jesus, and you may be their only chance. You know, about two years ago, I heard about an amazing magazine that highlights the history of Christianity. They produced an issue all about the faith and work movement, all about callings and vocations, and its roots going back 2,000 years. You know, having not gone to seminary or a Christian Bible university, I was fascinated with the research presented in this issue and wanted to make sure our I Work For Him audience heard about this resource today. So I've invited Michael Austin, spokesman with the Christian History Magazine, to tell us all about it. Michael Austin, welcome to I Work For Him. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be with you and your audience, and uh, it's 
especially glad to have uh, Martha with us today. <laughs> yeah, we're, it's always more fun. People say it's great radio when Martha's on the radio. It's just okay when I'm, when I'm on the radio. Hey, Michael, before <laughs> we get started talking about the Christian History Magazine, talk to us about how did you come to be a follower of Jesus? Oh, boy, what a question. Thank you. Um, I love to talk about this because it was the greatest thing that happened in my life. I was a, um, a very small businessman um, in upstate New York. I was um, actually um, a public relations consultant in New York City. Uh, that was a 35-year career in New York City. And a very brief uh, period of time, I rented out my apartment and I moved up to uh, Schenectady, New York, and opened an office there. Some folks had invited me to come up and join their enterprise. And so um, I was there, and, and I have to tell you that I was just a, um, a heathen, really, um, a guy who was kind of drifting along in life. Um, as a very young person, I, I always had a desire for God. And um, that manifested in a number of ways, uh, which I won't go into a whole lot of detail. But uh, I got involved with the New Age and um, Hinduism and mysticism and meditation and a guru at a very young age, uh, from actually the age of 22 to 35. When I got out of that, I studied cult mind control. I was very interested in uh, finding out what the heck I had been involved with, and those were... uh, those were in, incredible, very uh, depressing years of um, of anguish, uh, living in hell, really, in retrospect, when I look back at it. But after, um, uh, I don't know, 10 or 15 years of being freed from that, I was still a um, kind of an amateur meditator. I was actually quite a trained meditator. And one night, um, I was um, in a meditative state. And um, Jim, the Lord spoke to me, and um, it knocked me off my... uh, I was actually lying flat on my back uh, going to sleep one night, and um, it knocked me right off the bed. I I was terrified. But you know what? He said something really important to me. He told me that I was going to die soon and that I had better get right with him. And that message changed my life. He, uh, he did that work that night. My, uh, I was never the same. Uh, I became a, a person who, with a great desire, because uh, it actually fulfilled in my life a desire that I'd always had. Uh, and I, um, I made it my business to become, uh, well, after that first message, um, I agreed immediately because I was under conviction. Uh, I only knew that later. I only knew that language later. But uh, I agreed completely, and I, my, my thinking was, okay, how do I do that? And he gave me a second message. He said, follow my son, be a Christian. And so I, you know what? I got my greatest life's desire, and that was to know my calling. And that's what I got that night. My calling was to follow Jesus Christ and be a a follower of his. And so that's what I made that I, I, I immediately went about the business of getting right with him. And um, I used to ask uh, Christians, you know, how do I become a Christian? What do you do? What do you do in life? And of course, they would say, well, come to my church. And I would go to their church, and sometimes I would be elated, and sometimes I would, I would think, well, you know what? I don't think this is it. 
I need to go elsewhere. And so I, I was on a search for learning how to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And um, that's how I came to, um, to be a Christian and to be a follower of Jesus. So that was um, an amazing journey that God took you, took you on. And for our listeners that might have just tuned in, we are talking with Michael Austin, and he is a spokesperson for the Christian History Magazine. And we're going to be talking more about that magazine in a little bit, as well as a specific um, issue that Jim um, really wants to be able to highlight. Michael, as a result of um, really turning your life can being completely changed. And it sounded like you were a studier of many things before you um, got to, got to know and follow Jesus. As you've studied the scriptures, has there been a, um, a specific scripture that you have kind of clung to as a life verse? Oh, yes. And as a matter of fact, that very night, uh, I knew very little about uh, the Christian faith, um, mm-hmm. practically nothing. However, when I was a child, my mother, who actually did not know the Lord, but she had a great sense of duty. I later found out that my my grandfather was a Bible-carrying Methodist, and he had six children, he had six daughters, and none of them knew the Lord. But my mother had this sense of, of uh, Methodist duty, I think. And um, when I was in middle school, uh, middle school age and uh, early high school, uh, she would take me and my sister to church, uh, we were a, a traveling family. We were a military family. My father was career army. And so every two years we moved. And uh, when we would do that, my mom would take me and my sister to church. And she would take us uh, typically to a Methodist church. Well, if you go to a Methodist church, you're going to hear the Lord's Prayer. And um, you know what? Uh, when he told me to follow his son... I was thinking to myself, how do I do that? What does that mean? What could that possibly mean? I knew, I knew who it was. I knew it was the God of the Bible that was talking to me. And so I knew I, I needed to um, follow Jesus. And so I thought to myself, how in the world can I do that? Well, I thought, um, perhaps I could remember that Lord's Prayer that I heard as a child. And you know what? I, I remembered the first verse. and. Um, all I knew, <laughs> what I knew thoroughly about was yoga and following a Hindu guru. And so I made that first verse of the Lord's Prayer into a mantra. I don't know if your listeners can uh, relate to that or if you can understand what that means, but that's a, typically a, a mantra in the Hindu tradition is the name of God that you repeat over and over again. Well, I now had a mantra. I never had one when I was a, sure. when I was a follower of a guru, but now I had one. And um, it just filled me with, uh, with joy and, and power. And what I did was I repeated that over and over again, and I uh, went to sleep. And, uh, but you know what? Over time, I, I recalled that entire prayer without we'll even knowing right back. We'll be right back with more from Michael Austin about the Christian History Magazine. Michael Austin. I'd love for you to check it out online, christianhistorymagazine.org, christianhistorymagazine.org. Just a great resource, something that I just found out about about two years ago. And they did this one issue that was all about callings and vocation and work. And I, we're going to talk about that with Michael Austin today, but he was sharing a story about how he became a follower of Jesus. And boy, if you're just tuning in right now, 
it, it's amazing. There's so many different ways on how God intersects our lives. And Michael, as you got intersected and, and you became a follower of Jesus, when, when God said, hey, follow my son, how did you said you were a small business guy? How did you how did your new faith in Jesus impact how you did business? What kind of a business were you running? Well, I was a PR consultant for 35 years in New York City. And uh, here I was up in Schenectady, New York, away from uh, the city. And um, I did have the experience, this was an amazing experience, to go back to New York City. Um, Actually, from Schenectady, I I came down to uh, Asheville, North Carolina, where my father was from. He had passed some years before, but I, I came down to look after my mom. In fact, um, I mentioned my sister, uh, she and I being taken to church by my mom. Well, my sister had just passed herself. Um, And so, you know what? The Lord just uh, packed me up, and and I was on my way down to look after my mom in Asheville. Mm. I spent a a couple of years there traveling back and forth between New York and, and my office in New York and Asheville. But eventually went back to uh, live for a short period of time in New York. And here I was, a born-again Christian, for the first time in my life, looking at and living in Gotham, the Big Apple, New York City, uh, back, you know, uh, walking the the pathways that I was used to, the subway, uh, getting up to Times Square, where I had an office at one time, uh, actually in the largest uh, independent PR firm in the world. Um, with a staff, <laughs> thought I was somebody, and um, here I was back in New York, a Christian with new eyes, and I I saw the city completely differently. But by the way, this was just after 9/11. Um, I was in New York City on 9/11, not a believer. I became I came to the Lord. He found me two years after 9/11 in in 2003. And um, I, and so I was uh, 59 years old when when he got a hold of me, and so <laughs> I was um, deep in um, in the in the uh, public relations, uh, communications, uh, marketing field, and you know what? Within four years of that experience. I turned around and realized that uh, the father had converted my little practice because I was an independent uh, sole practitioner. I would hire staff as needed, but a very small business person. And here I looked around and I thought, uh, Father, is this a ministry? And that is what has happened. And that's how I'm speaking to you today um, as a communicator, a communication consultant uh, advising ministries other ministries on how to, um, you know, uh, increase their exposure, how to fundraise, how to communicate in this world, how to deal with the press that we have today. So we're talking today with Michael Austin. He's a spokesman for Christian History Magazine. Love for you to check it out online, christianhistorymagazine.org. And you may be going, Jim, you know, why why are you highlighting a magazine? It's like, I found a, a resource that I really found valuable. And in fact, we're going to give away today during the, the third segment of the show, 
issue number 110, along with uh, a DVD provided to us by Christian History Magazine. This issue 110, Michael Awesome, was on callings, work and vocation in the history of the church. Talk to us about, though, first Christian History Magazine. What is this magazine all about? It's about the history of the faith. Um, Ken Curtis, who is a filmmaker, uh, biographer, um, documentarian, he was actually the pro- producer of a famous movie called The Cross and the Switchblade, starring uh, Pat Boone. It was the story of David Wilkerson in, uh, in New York City, um, who evangelized the gangbangers of the uh, 60s and 70s. Um, Nicky Cruz came to the Lord through him. And, um, and so Ken um, had a heart for history and felt that we Christians just don't know much about the history of the faith. So he started this magazine back in 1982, and it has continued since. It was um, uh, very quickly picked up by Christianity Today and distributed by uh, that magazine as a separate magazine for many, many years. And then about eight years ago, um, uh, let's see, between about seven years ago, uh, Christian, uh, Christianity Today uh took a turn in direction and decided that they wanted to um, no longer uh, distribute this magazine. So it came back to the original ministry, which is Christian History Institute. Um, They are located north of Philadelphia with a small staff, and they decided to create a website to expand the magazine, make it better, and continue this as a ministry. And so that, along with other kinds of communication products that they produce, such as the Torchlighters, which is a series of DVDs for children, animated uh, biographies of heroes of the faith, that and many, many other um, properties and, uh, and communications tools, uh, uh, film and printed material, uh, continues uh, in that ministry today. So let's highlight that website, and that would be the ChristianHistoryInstitute.org. Is that correct, Michael? That's correct, and yeah. and also if they, if you if your listeners type in ChristianHistoryMagazine.org, both of those addresses will take you to the same uh, to the same website. Perfect. So that's great. So in talking about the magazine, how did you guys come up with the idea, or how did they, whoever they is, right, how the people, the great minds that get together, <laughs> decide to do a whole issue on the history of faith and work? Well, and, and isn't it wonderful? It's it's one of my very favorite issues because it has all to do with how we live and what we do um, in life, in in the life that we have uh, to live. So um, now the editorial board or the editorial staff of the magazine, I I have nothing to do with those decisions. They have a long list of topics that they are committed to um, uh, put into the uh, issues of the magazine. It's important to know that you know, every issue is on one single topic alone. And so this one is on faith and work. Uh, a recent one was on faith and food. <laughs> They're not all like that. Many are on, on certain individuals or movements in the faith and so forth. Um, but, uh, you know, clearly the Bible um, speaks eloquently and often about our work. It has all to do with our faith. Our, uh, our Heavenly Father, 
not only considered history to be very important, he considers work to be very important. And by the way, for your listeners, it's important that we distinguish between this, you know, this word work can be very easily confused because a lot of preachers and pastors and and authors talk about uh, works versus faith um, relative to salvation. We're not talking about that. <laughs> we are talking right. about our vocation, our calling into uh, labor and work, our livelihood. That is the kind of work that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And so so, let's let's just jump into a little bit of the magazine, because I really want to, before we get to the bottom of this segment, really want to talk about who was the first Christ follower that you guys highlighted in the magazine that that started struggling with this whole idea, started commenting about the the faith and work. I mean, when you look at the history, the magazine did a great job of covering it the last 2000 years. Who was the first Christ, Christ follower struggling with that connection? Well, you know, when you ask me that question, that's interesting, because uh, we could go in many, many different directions, but frankly, I believe that to be Paul, the Apostle Paul. Uh, He spoke about that um, in Acts. Uh, Paul was a tent maker. We know that from Acts 18, uh, verses 1 through 4. He was a tradesman. And um, not only that, but he, he taught something very important in Acts 20, 33. Uh, Paul refers to the fact that he works to provide for himself. He works to provide for those with him. Uh, We have to think that that is his family and his friends. And he makes it very clear that he is not beholden to those who he is evangelizing to, those in his faith community, his church family, so to speak, that we might we might use that phrase today. He's not he's not relying on them for his livelihood and for his uh, uh, let's let's call it uh, rent and groceries. Um, he is a worker, and so I think it's an eloquent and um, and very profound, meaningful teaching that we we can derive from Paul and his words and his circumstances that, uh, you know, how important work is. And many of the... uh, We come back lots more, lots more from Michael Austin from Christian History Magazine. Check them out online, christianhistorymagazine.org. They did an entire magazine on callings, work and vocation in the history of the church. And today we're giving away a copy of that issue. You can call the listener line to get a copy of that issue, 866-713-9675, or 866-713-WORK. That's the Christian History Magazine. Find them online, christianhistorymagazine.org. We've got Michael Austin. He's a spokesman for the Christian History Magazine. Michael, this magazine is, this issue, number 110, is filled with incredible articles about how Christ followers throughout the ages have been, that it's not just today, in 20, almost 2020, that it's been for the last almost 2,000 years that Christ followers have really struggled with connecting their faith and their work. Let's talk about the article by Will Messenger. Now, Martha and I got to meet Will Messenger last October in Kansas City at a national oh, at a national faith and work association meeting and will being an in- incredible scholar he writes this article about callings and gifts and and i and i just loved it because he said that our callings unite us 
He said, and why is it important? He says, gifts that differ, callings that unite. An interview with Will Messenger. What, what, how is it that Will communicates that our callings unite us? This is really interesting, isn't it? Because um, he, uh, he's such a profound thinker. And um, it, the article actually is written in the, in the format of a question and answer. And so he talks about something, I think, that is a theme throughout the issue and is uh, very compelling, and that is, you know, why, why do we have this word calling? Um, in the uh, biblical times, uh, New Testament biblical, biblical times, Jesus called people out to join him. And um, when he did that, he gave us a model uh, of our lives. I experienced this myself. You can imagine, um, you know, Pierre guy, uh, very worldly, um, very sophisticated, <laughs> thought I was. Um, and suddenly, um, I, I come under conviction to be called out of the world, literally. Um, but still working, uh, continuing to practice my profession, but in a totally different way. And so calling, uh, our calling and our profession, think of that word profession. Where did you last hear profession at your workplace as opposed to in your church? I would su- submit that possibly the last time you heard it was in your church, and it had to do with a profession of faith. That is the origin of this word and of this concept of both calling and profession. We are called to follow him. We are called out of the world to follow him. And so as Christians, we have work to do, but how do we do that work so that it is consistent with our faith calling and our profession of faith? So over time, and I think this is what um, uh, Will is talking about here, because he cites Old Testament callings when um, Jehovah God, our, our Heavenly Father, called people, called Moses, called Moses out of the desert, um, um, you know, uh, manifested himself as a burning bush and a voice, by the way, in, in Genesis, um, what Adam heard uh, and what Adam walked with in, in, uh, in the garden was a voice. So we're called. We're called by, uh, by our Father. We're called by Jesus. And so when uh, Will is talking about now, he goes from that. Now, that's an individual call. All of us have a story about that. We've all been, every Christian, you know, we're not born Christians. We're born-again Christians. So how did that happen in our lives? How did we come to know Him? How did we come to desire to be His follower? Well, that's our story. We all have one. Um, Then how do we—now, it's in the telling of that story, and it's in the manifesting of our faith in the world, and especially in the workplace, because we spend most of our time in the workplace. How do we manifest that calling? How is that a part of how we serve in our profession, our our worldly profession, and that is what I think Will is talking about. We have there is a unit. You can almost recognize a Christian. Uh, a Christian will recognize another Christian in the workplace by the way he he or she presents himself, by the way they talk, by the way they um, relate to their fellow workers, the way they reach out to um, to comfort 
to bear other people's burdens, to collaborate in a cooperative way, not to be deceiving, not to be destructive, not to destroy, not to steal, all of those things that a Christian knows he should never do and never be involved with a profession that does those things. Um, and so there is a unity in the workplace of people who are, are believers uh, who are in I, what I think is the greatest mystery, uh, I'm sorry, greatest ministry field, mission field that there is, and that and is totally, your workplace. I love that. And, I, and the fact that we all have so many different gifts, yet God uses those gifts no matter what they are in our jobs to bring glory to him, and we get that opportunity. Uh, I think it's just so important that we bring that to the attention of our caller or our listeners is that that it doesn't matter what kind of, it doesn't matter. No matter what your gifts are from God that play out in the profession that you hold, God wants to use them for his glory. So Jim, wonderful? I-, I think that's, that's what uh, James is talking about when he talks about uh, faith without works is dead. He's talking about, you know, uh, we, we work because we have salvation. We don't have salvation because we work. Mm-hmm. So I just want to remind our listeners where they can get a hold of this um, resource. We are giving away a copy today of a specific issue, um, and they can call our listener line for that, which is 866-713-9675. But if this is something that you maybe want to subscribe to, just go to christianhistoryinstitute.org and look for the magazine tab, and that will give you all the information there. And there's just a wealth of resources that people can check out while they're there. But we're specifically today talking with Michael Austin, and he's a spokesperson for the Christian History Magazine. And recently they did an issue on callings, work and vocation in the history of the church. And so, of course, that was intriguing to us as we talk about um, work every day here on our show. You know, Michael, when you look at the history of early stories of Christ followers wrestling with their their vocation, their their faith and their work really quickly, what do you which one of those stories intrigues you the most? Which one of those stories resonates most with Michael Austin? Well, you know, I go back. um, I'm a I'm a fan, if you will, of the very very early church, and I'm talking about just uh, one or two generations, or immediately um, after uh, the uh, Christ's uh, resurrection. And um, Ignatius, I think, is a um, is a is a great example. Uh, and and I think he um, now Ignatius was what was it a hundred? He was uh, he lived around a uh, hundred. So he and I believe he was the um, the uh, disciple of a, an apostle of Jesus. And so he was very, very close to that, uh, to that time. Now, uh, he actually lived from 35 to 107. And um, you know what he talked about? He talked about, because we have some writings of Ignatius, he talks about the suffering of Christians. This was a time when Christians were being persecuted to the death. And um, we forget this because uh, I think in, in, our, um, in, in these modern times, particularly in America, you know, we Christians, we think we, have it, we just have it made in, in, in every regard, and we're kind of surprised at the, at the notion that we might be persecuted or we might be jailed. By the way, those times are coming, 
I believe. I, I believe we're seeing it uh, because there are pastors who are being detained uh, if they, uh, you know, are preaching about, uh, you know, same-sex marriage, homosexuality, some of the issues that we all know about that are controversial. So going back to and, Ignatius, um, Ignatius. What, was, what was it about Ignatius that, that inspires you, that, that you love to hear from him? Well, he was, he was just unflinching in his uh, vision of what it was to be a Christian and what it, what it meant to uh, answer the call uh, to conversion. Those were the days when Christians, they were all out there in life, in the marketplace, uh, in their work, and they were all talking about Jesus, because Jesus was just the hottest thing um, on the planet. Everyone, you know, the only other, uh, in these towns and cities in the Middle East, everyone was going to these pagan temples. Well, there was something new in the world, and people were on fire for Jesus. And they were reminding, uh, they were reminded every day that they had to be faithful uh, to their church, I'm I'm sorry, to uh, to the Word, to Christ, and to their calling. Um, because uh, they could be, and they were being wiped out um, uh, all across that that uh, area. Now, this would be uh, uh, prior to Constantine, who legalized Christianity. Well, let's let's, let's the talk Christian about faith that. was well, illegal. Right. Well, let's talk about that time period of time between Ignatius and Constantine. A couple hundred more years. Christ followers mm-hmm. living out their faith in their work, Christ followers living out their, their their excitement about a relationship with their Heavenly Father made possible by Jesus, that transformed the very culture they were in. Talk to us about that. Well, for instance, uh, the pagans were uh, rampantly sexually immoral. Christ brought many new things, and one of them was, I mean, to the whole region, because it was spreading beyond Israel, it was spreading into uh, Syria, the area we call Syria now, uh, Egypt, all around the Mediterranean. And um, the, the this new lifestyle, which, which just unhinged people, um, they couldn't believe that uh, this group of Christians were so faithful to their, to their beliefs in Christ, that they would actually die rather than give up uh, their behavior. And one of their behaviors was to be faithful to their wife and husband. They weren't selling themselves on the sex market. And that kind of behavior transformed the Roman Empire and eventually led the Roman, I mean, really, it overturned the Roman Empire. Listen, we're talking with Michael Austin, spokesperson for the Christian History Magazine, and we're talking about issue number 110, which is all about callings, work, and vocation. And it's really the history of the faith and work movement from the time right after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven to today. And we really wanted to call attention to it, a resource, it's a great resource, and we're giving away a copy today. Call the studio, the listener line, 866-713-9675 in order to get in the runnings for getting a copy of that today. All right, Michael Austin, we've talked about really the early church, but your, the magazine really covers the whole 2,000 years of the faith and work movement. I kind of want to jump ahead to Martin Luther and the Reformation 500 years ago. We just celebrated the 500-year uh, a 500th year of the Reformation just last year in 2017. 
Talk to us about the things that Luther realized about faith and work that the Church wasn't teaching 500 years ago. Yes, well, the Reformation, of course, changed everything. Luther had a a tremendous uh, role in that. He was not the first that came up with this idea, but he was certainly the most prominent, and and, uh, over time, it's kind of the poster boy for salvation um, by grace through faith. And he discovered this in Romans, and, um, you know, he had a problem, because he was a Catholic priest, and the, and the Church was suppressing even reading the Bible. But uh, we have to um, think about uh, what revolutionary times the Revolu- uh, Reformation was, in that people were starting to read the Bible, and that seems literally changed everything. So... Uh, well, Luther found in that a freedom from the tyranny of the Catholic Church and in life in general. He, he got married. Uh, he was a, um, a celibate monk. His wife, Catherine, was a celibate nun. They, they began to change the social uh, life of Europe radically. And uh, part of that was a liberation. In fact, the uh, subtitle to the article uh, liberating those who were, Martin Luther challenged centuries of vocational reflection. Um, this was a liberation movement. People were were suddenly confronting that, uh, confronting a, an entirely changed society. The uh, universities were starting. Uh, Martin Luther was a teacher in a university. Universities were, were basically monasteries that were converted into educational institutions. So um, he was very aware. Let me just interrupt you of, for a second. Isn't isn't it true that during the? It, I want to make sure I ask you some of these questions because it's important everybody understands. Isn't it true that at the point in time of the Reformation, five hundred years ago, the Church was teaching that the that there was a, a difference in the level of callings. That the highest callings were priest and missionary, and that everything else was a subservient calling. That it was a secondary calling. Isn't that true? Yes, and that's one of the things that uh, Luther began to talk about. And, of course, this is in the Bible, and it's, um, I think, the uh, reference of Paul, uh, to go back to Paul, uh, also talked about this, that, you know, there's, um, well, in in Matthew, there's a teaching of Jesus saying, uh, don't let anyone call you teacher. Uh, He he talked about the the rabbis and the teachers elevating themselves uh, above everybody else. And his his teaching was, one is your your teacher, even Jesus Christ. The rest of you are all brethren. And so, yes, there was a hierarchy, a caste system, if you will. Uh, Luther was one of the first that began to uh, chink away at that caste system and to teach people that what you have to do in life is your calling, and there's there's no other uh, no other greater. Um, uh, in other words, we we are all on the same level playing field. Um, how did that, Michael serving, Austin? How did that how did that impact the industrial revolution? So jump ahead four hundred years, Luther laid the groundwork. Yep. People started reading scriptures for themselves. They started realizing that some of the things that the church was teaching 500 years ago and really during the whole dark ages time, uh, they weren't necessarily true. They start to read the scriptures for themselves. Then all of a sudden you jump into 
the last 150 years where technology and innovation has been rapid, a rapid expansion. How has faith impacted those during those period of times in those kinds of jobs? Well, later in the issue, there's an article about God's business, and a lot of that article is about John Wesley. John Wesley was in, was raised Anglican, um, and when he, uh, the Holy Spirit got a hold of him, he began to go to Anglican churches, which, by the way, at that at that particular time in in England, were very elitist. Uh, you had to uh, be uh, a rich person to even wear that kind of clothing. To make you acceptable to come into a to a church building, you had to pay for the uh, seat in the pew. And he went into those churches and began to preach sin. And would you believe? And this is a wonderful, incredible story. They would pick him up hand and arm, uh, or at a hand and foot, and throw him out the door. These were extreme Calvinists. Uh, the church had become uh, Calvinist to the extreme in Britain at that time. And what did um, what did John Wesley do? He turned to open air preaching and going to the mines and going to the people who were would never be allowed into a church and began preaching in the open air. He began a a a group at uh, Oxford College um, called the Holy Ones. He began a piety movement, and along with George Whitfield and others, began to teach to preach to the common man. That be, that introduced a way of thinking such that when the uh, Industrial Revolution came, that, um, you know, caused another uh, radical revolution in society where people from the farms and agricultural business were now going into cities uh, to, to get jobs operating machines and industry, um, then that became a... Christian movement to bring the gospel, to, to uh, uh, encourage others in their Christian faith, in the workplace, in factories, in offices, and all of the things that we take for granted today, uh, because the Industrial Revelation, uh, Revolution um, was another radical social change in which the Christians were very active. And there's a, yet another article uh, about what would Jesus do. Um, these, these, that article talks about those who were in business, and, and one of them, by the way, was an advertising uh, executive that I was familiar with that wrote a famous book called The Man Nobody Knows in 1925. Um, this goes back to the, the early days of, well, by 1925, the Industrial Revolution was in full swing. That started in the uh, mid-1800s. But um, there were many, many movements that uh, encouraged businessmen to form organizations. One of the first ministries that I myself became involved with was CBMC, uh, Christian Businessmen mm -hmm. Committee. That was actually started in Chicago in the 20s, uh, just at the time of the, uh, the, the Depression, when businessmen were so distraught they were jumping out of windows. And that ministry was started by a group of Christians uh, Christian, Christian businessmen who decided to have to start hold week, weekly meetings and in their workplace, and there's a there's a whole tradition of para ministries that do that um, to this day uh, all over the country and all right. over the world of business people 
uh, in this greatest uh, mission field that I think that there is in the world, and that is uh, our everyday workplace. Oh, and, and that is so true that, that, you know, CBMC, great ministry, been around for 88 years in 356, 356 cities around the country, cbmc.org. I love that you highlighted that. I love that they had an impact in your life, Michael Austin, as the spokesperson for Christian History Magazine. One last question really quick for you, Michael. As you look at today's modern faith and work movement, where it's really gained steam, you know, there was R.G. Letourneau uh, was living out, uh, living on 10%, giving away 90%, developed all the patents for the heavy machinery back in the 20s and the 30s, and then Stanley Tam collecting up uh, silver during the, the, the uh, black and white uh, pho- photograph developing times, and uh, he, you know, God owns his business. And then you go to today where there are thousands of yeah. faith and work ministries the impact on the world around you today as you are a marketing and advertising and an executive and helping people do that kind of stuff, where do you see the faith and work movement really quick? Where do you see the faith and work movement going next? Oh, I, I see it exploding. Uh, we have a businessman in the Oval Office now. Uh, that has changed so much. Um, our, our business and our, our economic uh, picture has been changed in, in a near two years. And People are excited. There are jobs available. Uh, people are going, uh, you know, eager for retraining right. uh, so that they can get these jobs that are available. And I think that there, there's a message there because I, I think just uh, last week, there's a message, uh, there's a message but a we got in, we're in out of time. Michael, we're out of time. Michael Austin, thank you for being on our work for him today from Christian History Magazine. Thank you, Michael Austin. Thank you for having me. Hope we can do it again. Bye now. You can listen to I Work For Him with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers. Our workplace, it's our mission field, but ultimately, I I work work for him. him.